This is AWLS, Podcasts on Wilderness Medicine, from the University of Utah School of Medicine. Hello, my name is Natalie Bonthius, and I'm an emergency medicine resident doctor. I started an organization called Survival Med, and my goal is to educate uh, the public on how to travel safely and how to be in the outdoors uh, safely and how to treat injuries. And one of the courses that I teach in Survival Med is called Solo Travel for Women. I'm really passionate about getting other women uh, into the outdoors and also making them comfortable traveling on their own and visiting new places. So I teach all about uh, different uh, travel safety topics and I, I really emphasize women's safety in this particular solo travel class. So today I'll kind of go through a few of the different topics that we talk about in that class and I just um, how important it is to kind of be aware of these different uh, factors when you're traveling, especially by yourself as a woman. So the first thing we'll go over is Uber and Lyft safety. And these are becoming extremely popular uh, in the last five years. Really, this form of transportation surpassed uh, taxis and other forms of public transportation many-fold, especially for single travelers. It really is a convenient option. But there are some things to be aware of, especially for women uh, doing this by themselves. First of all, keep in mind that for Uber and Lyft drivers, their background checks actually only go back seven years. And so sometimes we have uh, drivers out there that actually do have extensive criminal records and uh, a lot of these background checks do not pick up on that for these particular companies. Um, So it is just something to be aware of. And when you're ordering a ride, it's best if you request that ride inside the building. So you wanna minimize the actual amount of time that you're standing on the outside, uh, just by yourself with your phone in your hand. It's a very, very vulnerable position to be in, and uh, a lot of people will recognize that you're standing there waiting for an Uber or a Lyft to come pick you up. Now, once uh, that driver is there and you're getting into that vehicle, you wanna verify both the car and the driver. So don't just climb into the car without verifying who it is. And even better, instead of asking them what their name is, have them verify your name. So say, who are you here to pick up? Instead of asking them, are you the Uber driver? Uh, Especially uh, in recent years, we've had a number of cases where women are getting into vehicles and they just confirm that it's an Uber or a Lyft. They don't uh, take any other confirmation step uh, that it's actually their driver. And then uh, a few of them have actually ended up getting murdered in those cases. So it is really something you wanna verify before you climb into that car. Um, actually, there's a whole movement now uh, that is, was created by one of those victims. Uh, their parents have created this movement to educate women on this very principle that you should be asking, uh, who are you here to pick up, rather than are you the Uber or Lyft driver? It is a good idea to share your trip status, too, as you're going, and let the driver know that the trip is being tracked. So give a phone call to somebody, uh, say that you're on your way and when you expect to get there. And it's okay, even if you don't have cell service, if you're in a remote location, make a fake phone call. So pretend you're calling somebody and uh, that's just to, to let the driver know really that somebody's expecting you on the other side. So if anything happens in the meantime, 
then uh, there's going to be red flags that are raised. The safest place to sit inside of an Uber or a Lyft or even a taxi is in the back, uh, in the middle seat of the back. And especially in third world countries, you really want to sit in that location because when you're in very uh, busy areas, uh, sometimes uh, people will pass by the back doors and actually open them and uh, steal whatever on the inside right accessible to them. So the closer you are to the middle seat, the better. A lot of the same principles apply for taxis. You want to call for a taxi still ideally inside the building. Minimize how much time you're spending out on the street waiting for that transportation. That is actually when a lot of these crimes against women happen. And uh, keep in mind too, in some countries, the entire taxi systems are actually controlled by gangsters. Uh, in the United States, this was uh, pretty much ended back in the 1960s, but in some countries it is still going on. And for instance, in Lima, Peru, anyone with a car can actually stick a sign on the door and start picking up passengers. You don't need any other uh, accreditation or licensure to do that. Uh, so in some places, the infrastructure for these taxi systems are very loose and, again, uh, sometimes it's even controlled by uh, gangs. So as soon as you're climbing into a taxi, you want to look for a meter, a radio, a badge, and an interior door handle. Make sure that all of those are present before you get in that car. And as you're kind of watching different taxis, if there's a whole line of them uh, on the street that are there to pick up any potential passengers, especially in those third world countries, it's best to look for a driver who seems the least interested or is maybe even asleep uh, when they're in their car waiting for potential passengers to come along. By doing that, you'll at least help to minimize the risk that uh, you end up with a driver who has ulterior motives in, uh, in doing this. And as you're climbing in into a taxi, it's a good idea to snap a picture of the license plate and also track your ride on Google Maps if you do have cell service at the time. Um, and again, you want to sit in the back middle seat if you can and ideally keep all of your belongings with you in that back seat. Sometimes uh, there are certain taxi scams that can be uh, run in these different countries and a few of them uh, that are pretty common actually are uh, two people will kind of um, work together in a scam where they uh, will uh, look for especially women who look like they have a lot of valuable belongings with them or jewelry or expensive clothing. They'll pick them up as a passenger and then they'll give a call up to somebody else near the location where they're dropping this person off and they'll tell them exactly what the woman has with them, uh, what kind of valuables they might be able to expect, and then they set up a robbery uh, when that woman gets out of the vehicle at whatever location she's going to. Another thing that has happened uh, to many people in uh, various places throughout the world is uh, they get into a taxi and they put their luggage and their belongings in the trunk of the taxi, but the driver has set up a system with, again, usually with a partner where they actually will pop the trunk open at a busy intersection where you're not aware that this is going on and then somebody else will come along and steal out all of the, uh, the luggage and the belongings. And then when you reach your location, everything is gone. And the, the taxi driver may you know, play like they're innocent and play like they have no idea what happened. So just a few things that can kind of happen with public transportation to be aware of. 
Alrighty, moving on to a, another topic uh, for solo travelers, uh, which is hitchhiking. And personally, I think that oftentimes the dangers of hitchhiking outweigh the benefits. I think if you can avoid it, it is uh, better to avoid it than to rely on this as a primary means of transportation. But it is sometimes necessary. Sometimes we end up in remote places without a working vehicle or we're just in a situation where we don't have a lot of options. And for those kinds of cases, it may be necessary to hitchhike at certain points. Um, again, it's not a very overall safe thing to do, but there are things you can do to make it safer. First, you can try to approach drivers at gas stations. And drivers that have just stopped for gas or for food, they're not looking to pick anyone up. So again, you wanna minimize how much you get into the vehicle of anyone who's actually trying to pick up passengers. Uh, that alone should make at least uh, your drivers somewhat safer. And try to talk to them, explain that you need help, even offer to chip in for gas and establish a connection with people. And uh, then as you're getting into any car, again, you should be taking photos of the license plate. And anybody who's allowing a hitchhiker to ride with them should be comfortable with that. Uh, if they aren't comfortable with it, then you shouldn't ride with them. And the same principles as apply as before. So you wanna make a call to somebody as soon as you get in that car. Uh, let them know where you're going, that you're hitchhiking there, uh, that you expect to be there by a certain time, as much detail as you can. And once again, even if that has to be a fake phone call, if you don't have cell service, then uh, the, the real goal is to let that driver know or at least think that somebody is expecting you at a certain point at a certain time. Another kind of um, tactic that you can use if you're getting into an unfamiliar vehicle and uh, you wanna just make that driver aware that people know who you are, they are expecting you at a certain time or uh, you have a social connection to that area, you can wave goodbye to people, even at that gas station. Again, it sounds silly, but even even conveying that, that small motion that you know people in the area, they know you, and you're well connected, if you go missing, then uh, people will raise alarms. You wanna be conveying all of that to the driver. All right, moving on to the topic of hotels and where you actually stay at night. Um, one thing that I think a lot of women are not aware of when they are booking reservations, whether it's with a hotel or a travel agency or some kind of tour, is that they use very gender-specific names and a lot of, uh, it's, it's very easy to recognize a lot of women's names as being female. And that actually does put you at a, a higher risk when you're traveling, especially by yourself if anybody that you're booking with or anyone that has access to that information realizes that you're traveling by yourself. So it's best to avoid using any kind of gender-specific language when you're making reservations, especially for a hotel room. Um, if you can avoid using your first name, either use just the first initial and your last name uh, or some variation of that. And as you're checking into your room, be very cautious of who can overhear your room number, what your name is, and other personal information that might be exchanged with the hotel clerk. Uh, no one should be able to overhear that. The room number should be written on your key envelope. They shouldn't be telling you out loud, especially with anyone within earshot range uh, who can hear that. 
especially when you're traveling in third world countries, make sure you tip the concierge, tip the desk, the servers, the maids, anyone who is involved in your stay. Try to provide them with some kind of tip. And this goes beyond just the principle of, um, of travel ethics here. It really does come down to your own safety because especially in these third world countries, there's been quite a few studies that have shown these hotel workers are much more likely to come to your aid or your rescue if you've provided them with a tip. So if something comes up during your travels and uh, you need help at that hotel, if you've made a connection, you've tipped those workers, they are actually more likely to work with you or to help you out. When it comes to hotel robberies, uh, you want to leave your most valuable items with the safe at the front desk if you can. And uh, they should give you a uh, written receipt for all of that. When you leave your valuable items in the safe in your own room, uh, the hotel usually does not carry any liability for that. It's only at the safe behind the front desk that they are actually liable for. The please make up this room sign, if you hang that on your door, that is a clue to everyone that passes by your door that you're not in there. And so a safer thing to do when you're traveling by yourself is to call housekeeping directly and let them know that you need them to clean the room at a certain time. Don't leave that sign up on your door. If you have expensive clothing with you, uh, hang, put them on hangers and actually tuck them under other garments in the closet. Usually robbers will shop what they can see uh, visible immediately in the room. And the more that you bury that, even if it's a simple maneuver by like, tucking it under a different coat or a different piece of clothing, that can help uh, prevent those from being stolen. If your bag is stolen from the hotel, uh, you want to recruit the management to search for it because actually most hotel robberies are committed by the staff themselves. So they'll be able to kind of monitor who's coming in and out of the building and what they're taking with them. For Airbnbs, uh, again, these have kind of exploded in popularity over the past 10 years, and uh, they are fairly safe uh, for travelers. I think there was a lot of hesitation early on, especially for solo female travelers, to use Airbnbs because it really is just strangers opening up their home to you, which does carry some inherent risks with it. Some things you can do to minimize those risks, uh, there is actually a filter on the Airbnb website where you can set the review filter to bad. And a lot of people don't realize that uh, the good reviews all bounce to the top, but the bad reviews get buried. And so you can actually filter those out and just read the people that have had negative experiences at any particular place. Look for it on Google Street View ahead of time too. Make sure it matches, make sure the photos on Airbnb match what shows up on that Google Street View. And you can take a look at what the rest of the area looks like too. Airbnbs frequently actually do not have carbon monoxide detectors. Uh, there's no regulations on this. Unlike with hotels, they have very strict regulations about those carbon monoxide detectors, at least in the United States. But Airbnbs do not because these are private homes. Uh, so just something to keep in mind. Um, another thing is you want to check for smoke detectors and fire extinguishers. Um, a lot of Airbnb owners overlook uh, that the fact that they should be including that in the property. You should never be asked to wire money directly to somebody, uh, to provide your credit card information directly to the Airbnb hosts, or to pay those hosts directly. 
Uh, Airbnb has very strict regulations against this. And if you're ever asked to do that, then you should uh, be clued in that it's a scam. As soon as you get to the room too, especially for people who are traveling by themselves, it's a good idea to check for all different entries and exits into that place. Make sure that any potential windows or doors are locked. Uh, sometimes all the potential uh, entries and exits are not immediately obvious. Some even behind mirrors and cabinets too. Nowadays, it's very, very popular for uh, travelers to post blogs and updates on their travels. And I think this can be a really awesome way to connect to people back home and to share your experiences traveling. But just be very cautious with, uh, with how you go about this, especially when you're traveling by yourself. You're leaving digital breadcrumbs no matter where you go. But when you're posting on social media, you actually do make yourself much, much more vulnerable to attack. One thing that uh, people commonly do is they'll post their locations. They'll even tag the location in the photos themselves. And uh, they don't realize that anybody on those social networks can then search. They can do a reverse search for people in those locations. And there are people out there that pry on uh, what look to be like young solo female travelers uh, that are posting. So don't post right away. It's good to leave some time in between when you've actually visited a location and when you post about it on social media. Once someone has you on social media, if they add you as a friend or they follow you, they're aware of all of your movements. And you know, even long after you've forgotten that they even exist, they can continue to see what you're up to, where you're at, and they can change their name, their entire profile. So these are things that people do, you know, every day. Uh, they add each other on social media and then you go and you forget about it. But uh, anybody that you add has some level of access to, uh, to what you're up to at all times. When you're booking your reservations too, it often requires a full name, like I mentioned before. Um, so people can look you up on social media and uh, it's really valuable to set your social media accounts to private so that people can't uh, look up your account and have immediate access to all of that. Never post any photos of tickets or boarding passes or passports on your social media either. This is frequently how people get their identities stolen and how scams end up uh, happening. And we'll wrap up today by talking about hiking by yourself and some things you can do to, to make that experience safer. I think this is something that I wish more women were comfortable doing. Uh, I think there's a lot of misinformation out there about just how dangerous it is to go into the wilderness by yourself. Um, and that's part of my goal with Survival Med is to make a lot more women feel comfortable doing that. But before you go on any hike, you want to leave a detailed description of where you're going and when you think you'll be back. And you want to leave that uh, with at least one other person. So send it in a text message or write it down and make sure they receive it. And also leave a note in your car as well, ideally face down on the dashboard. Um, that is if you're driving to the location that you're going to be hiking at. Because one of the very first places that search and rescue will look for clues about where you went is in your vehicle at that trailhead. And so if you leave a note about your intentions and where you thought you were going, then that can kind of help uh, lead them to where you went wrong. 
You also want to uh, make your face known out there. And I think this is a fine line between, uh, you know, talking to a lot of people, oversharing your plans and your travel plans and where you're going to be going at a certain time, but also, you know, making people aware. And when you are hiking by yourself, uh, it is good if you can at least, you know, talk to some people along the way make your face known, and if you do end up going missing, that'll at least increase the likelihood that someone will report having seen you at a certain point. Uh, but again, this is a fine balance. Uh, registration services and check-in systems, for instance, at the various national and state parks, uh, these are a great tool uh, to, to check in at certain locations and that can really help track you down if you do get lost. But some of the same principles that we touched on earlier in the podcast apply here. So when you're writing a very female gender-specific name in those logbooks, uh, that stands out, uh, especially when you're traveling by yourself. And so again, it's, it's better just to use your first initial and then your whole last name. If you do uh, get lost, I think that for any kind of solo female hiker, and any hiker in general, you really need to have some kind of noise-making device. So I tell women all the time who are trying to get into backpacking and camping and to figure out how to do it by themselves, uh, one of the best things that you can take with you in addition to a GPS device or some kind of backup map system is a noisemaker. So it could be a whistle, it could be a personal safety alarm. Uh, they sell them for pretty cheap on Amazon nowadays, but it's gonna be useful for a variety of reasons. Um, it scares off other people, so if you end up getting attacked in your tent at night, uh, it at least creates some kind of noise that will attract attention. It scares off animals, mountain lions, bears, many types of animals are scared off by those loud noises. So it's effective in a lot of situations, and it's also very effective if you do get lost. Uh, your voice will just not carry very far, and uh, you can't yell forever, and a lot of those noise-making devices are much much more effective at reaching farther distances. So this has been kind of an overview of many different topics that I teach about in my solo travel for women class. Uh, this is available on the survival med site, which I'll uh, give the, the website for at the end here. But I do want to invite you to, to check our courses out and to see if any of it interests you. Uh, so we do not just solo travel, but also many different wilderness courses. Uh, wilderness First Aid and Wilderness First Responder, we teach entirely online. And again, this is with the goal of just making it much more accessible and affordable for people out there. Uh, so we teach about how to, to stabilize and treat medical emergencies in the outdoors, how to evacuate people and make rescue decisions, and all of this is entirely virtual. So if you're interested, uh, check out www.survivalmedonline.org. And once again, my name's Natalie Bontheus, and it's been a pleasure.